John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. And uh, we want to read verses, let's just start at verse number 1 and read down to uh, verse number 11. All right, stand with us, if you will, for the reading and reverence of the Word of God tonight. The Bible says in John chapter number 8, verse number 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Now I want to pause here for just a moment and be reminding you that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So they are taking the attempting, there's an attempting of taking the word of God and going up against the word of God concerning the word of God. That's That's a mess right there. All right? So the Bible said, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now I want to take take notice of just a moment. He did not actually address their question. For their question didn't deserve an answer. But he had something else he was wanting to say to them, and he makes his point clear. We're going to deal with that here in just a minute. The Bible says, so when they, verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us now as we're going to take some, some scripture that is familiar and, Lord, look at some other scripture and try to get the context tonight and make application with it. We trust that you'll help us, Father, as we will do our very best to rightly divide the word of truth, but we need to touch from on high. Pray that you would help us and bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, I don't know if it's just hot in here or if it's me, but y'all look kind of bleak tonight too, all right? Everybody looks like they're about half scared to death what I'm going to say after the last couple of messages that we've preached. There's nothing to be scared of. We're just going to look at uh, the word of God. I was reminded, my wife and I was listening to a preacher not too long ago, he said that uh, the highway patrol pulled this little old lady over 
And uh, you know, it's the law that in the state of Tennessee, you can carry a firearm in your vehicle. And uh, you do have to let the officer know that you have it. And so he pulled up there and, and she rolled the window down and she said, I think I need to let you know I've got a 44 Magnum in the car. He said, okay, I appreciate that. She says, I probably ought to let you know I got a 357 Magnum in the glove box. He looked at her funny and he said, I think you also ought to know I got a 22 Magnum in my purse. He said, lady, what are you scared of? She said, not a thing, not a thing. <laughs> and so you ain't got anything... You ain't got anything to be scared of tonight. We're just, we're just going to go to the Word of God and look at what the Word of God has to say. All right, y'all look a lot better when you're smiling at me up here, okay? I appreciate that. So let's look here at the Word of God. Well, here's, what I, here's my heart tonight, if I could give you my heart. We have uh, talked about separation a great deal, and uh, as we've stated in the last several messages, uh, and I don't want to harp on that or, or tax you with this concept, but we don't back up from that. And I don't want you to walk away from the impression or get the impression that because we've been dealing with grace, you have some people that's almost scared to preach on grace because they act like you're liberal if you deal with grace. If it weren't for grace, we'd all be in trouble tonight, okay? I'm not scared of grace. I appreciate grace. I thank the Lord uh, for his unmerited favor in my life. But we look at separation, and as we were talking about that dividing line this morning on how we deal with separation and how we deal with grace concerning others, uh, we find that, that the separating part of this really gets heavy when we start dealing with those in the church. Those that are saved, those that have had grace extended to them, that would live in rebellion, Paul talks about how we must deal with that. But for a lost and dying world, we also do not skip out or preach around or skirt the matter of sin. For it is me learning that I was a sinner that helped me realize my fate and that I should turn and point myself towards that of Jesus Christ. So here again, we, we, don't, we don't skirt this matter of sin, but we do understand that there is a time for grace. And we need that discerning uh, discernment in our heart. And so we emphasize that and talking about that a great deal. But uh, as we talked about being on either ditch, the ditch of liberalism or the ditch of, of being pharisaical, uh, we find that, that it's right down the middle is where we want to be. Now, a wise preacher had some good advice. And this, this makes a lot of sense. He didn't say this to me, but it, it helped me a great deal. Uh, but this preacher made the comment that you would find that a church that is very pharisaical that liberalists or even churches that are liberal hate those pharisaical churches. You'll find that people that are pharisaical cannot stand a liberal church. All right? But you'll find that a church that tries to go right down the middle, who is neither liberal nor pharisaical, is hated by both. And I want to say to you this, it's encouraging tonight to know that sometimes you get in the bullseye of the liberal crowd and you're in the bullseye, if you will, of the pharisaical crowd and it ought to just encourage us that that means we must be headed right down the middle of either ditch and are getting shot at by both sides. And so that encourages me, that helps me, that lets me know that we are headed down the right track. We neither want to be pharisaical nor do we want to be a legalist, uh, I mean, excuse me, or a liberal. But here's what I find when you start preaching this way. 
There's always a crowd that leans on either side that's looking for some kind of something for the preacher to say that can scotch them up in their justification. And then there's that other side who's looking for the preacher just to mess up one time and say one thing they don't like and then you wind up with the preacher got both sides mad. Everybody's aggravated at the preacher. Well, he's a compromiser or he's a Pharisee or you, you wind up getting that. And then a lot of times you'll find that crowd that really needs some help that rebellious crowd, they find it as a license to continue in their sin. And so what we want to do is we want to look at three sides of this. Now, people say there's two sides to every coin. Well, there's three sides to this. You've got the crowd that runs in the ditch on the left side, the crowd that runs in the ditch on the right side, and we neither want to be in the left or on the right, but we don't want to give a license for people to sin because they know that we're going to just be that gracious church and that gracious people that just just extends grace to everybody and they can go on living in their sin for we don't want to be that way either. All right, so how do we address that? Well, we dealt with separation and we've dealt with grace. Let's deal with a license to sin tonight, okay? And we're going to try to be balanced in all this, right? That's the name of the game. We're trying to be balanced in how we deal with this, so let's go ahead and, and just balance this out with Scripture. My, my thought tonight is this. And I don't title all my messages, but the title of the message tonight would be Consumed by Grace. And you'll understand the title here in just a little bit if the Lord uh, would help us, okay? But John chapter number eight, we find something that's very unique in this verse of scripture. We find that Jesus, in verse one, went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them and the scribes, and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. Now, first of all, I want you to notice this, and we've preached from these verses of Scripture, and I'm not going to hang out here uh, a long time in these verses of Scripture, but I do want to call your attention to a few things. The Pharisees and the scribes were waiting for the right moment to try to get a leg up, if you will, or ahead of Jesus so that they could make a mockery of him in front of the people he was teaching. Jesus was at the house of God teaching a crowd that was sitting there quietly listening to his teaching. The scribes and Pharisees had a problem with the Lord Jesus Christ. They found this an opportunity to get uh, uh, in front of this crowd. See, if Jesus hadn't had a people that was listening to him, the scribes and Pharisees probably wouldn't have given him a whole lot of issue. But what frustrated the, the scribes and the Pharisees is the fact that Jesus had some people that was listening. And it, it, it irritated them and made them angry that Jesus had a following that would listen to him. All right? And so here's what happens. Because they are out to get Jesus, it's like they're laying in wait, if you will. Now for them to catch this woman in adultery, Brother Marvin... They had to have a preconceived notion, Brother Shane, where she would be at a certain time. So it wasn't in the heart of the scribes or the Pharisees. Now, they, by the law, you understand that, that Moses said that woman should be stoned. They didn't care one thing about that lady. For they did not go down there and try to prevent her from getting in a situation that would cause her to lose her life by way of stoning. Matter of fact, they didn't care anything about the lady at all. They were going to use her for a public example in order to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the scribes and Pharisees and their self-righteousness 
was more interested in making a show and, and cutting down what Christ was trying to do than actually care about the life of this woman. For it's a sad testimony that they knew she would be at a certain place doing a certain thing that would take her life but cared not to go down there and try to prevent it from happening. So notice, if you will, the fact that they caught her in the very act and, and if you'll allow me to say this, drug her out and brought her into the temple where Jesus was teaching and was going to make a mockery of her in front of all those people in front of Jesus. I, I love it because the Bible talks about being angry and sinning not and holding your tongue and we've been talking this morning about when to say what and how to say it. Jesus didn't get caught up. He didn't get caught up in what they were trying to do. He was very well calculated in what he said. And so here's what happens here. It says in verse number three, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So we find the preconceived knowledge of the event that was taking place and the testimony that that bears. Then they, they go to the, the law, if you will. It says, now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Now, I want you to, a lot of people look at this verse of Scripture as a license to sin. That this big loving God, this big hug in the sky just lets sin go. And I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't ever really deal with her sin with the crowd. It's not that Jesus is okay with sin. It's not that Jesus extended grace and, and just let it, you know, went against his own word. That's not what he done. Jesus never contradicted his word in these verses of scripture. And we don't find that Jesus was trying to contradict his word in this scripture. Jesus never deals with the question that they ask him. Rather yet, he asked them another question that would cause them to think about a wholly different situation. What was that question? I said, this they said, tempting him. So Jesus knows, Jesus knowing all things, what they were up to. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, I don't think we have a problem with this tonight, but let me go ahead and throw this out here. You'll find in some places there's a certain crowd that want their way so bad that they're willing to destruct whatever must be destructed to have it their way. Now, I don't think you're interested in that kind of church, and I know that I'm not interested in that kind of church, and I don't think we have that problem, but we ain't never gonna get that problem, Lord willing, as long as I'm here, and as long as you're here, and as long as the Lord's working, we're gonna try to keep away from that kind of a situation. We wanna love people, right? Jesus loved people. We wanna love people and try to help them. We're not willing to sacrifice people to make a point or to get our way today, all right? And so Jesus said, this they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So he never said don't cast a stone. He never said that she wasn't worthy of death. He simply said, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. You that are sinless, you be the one that th chunks the first rock. You go ahead and kick it off and get it started, you sinless one. The sinless one in the crowd needs to be the one that goes ahead and hits her first. 
We're all watching the crowd, so you go ahead and be the one that hits her first. So the Bible says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one. What happened here? They were taking an internal census. They were stopping and looking at their own self and going, I can't throw the first stone. Now, the Bible didn't say don't cast a stone, but they couldn't cast the first stone because there wasn't one of them that was without sin. And so Jesus here doesn't contradict his word, but he's trying to get them to think. What were they trying to do? They were trying to trip him up. He was simply just engaging them in thought and making their, their mind think about themselves. So the Bible says, and when they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, I love this because now it's just the woman and Jesus. Now, our ultimate goal, Brother Shane, in the church is to get poked to Jesus. Whether it be a sinner in need of salvation or whether it be uh, one that's been saved, that's fell into sin, we're just trying to get them to Jesus so they can do business with Jesus. We're not trying to be a factor in it. We're not trying to run the show. We're just simply doing all we can do with the help of the Lord to get folk to Christ where they can get some help, where they can get some help. So they've left out. They've gone. Now, you understand the, this, this idea that Jesus in this portion of Scripture is all about forgiveness and just lets it slide and just lets it go. That's not true. Jesus deals with the sin. This situation does not happen what Jesus doesn't deal with the sin. So how do we know? Well, the Bible says when Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. What's he say now? Go and sin no more. He did not let her leave without calling her action exactly what it was. Now, what did he do, essentially? What he said, he said in such a manner that would cause the scribes and Pharisees to think, but essentially Jesus saved her. Jesus, by, by utilizing his words the way only Jesus can, the words which Jesus spoke caused this woman to be saved of the tragedy of being stoned to death. So ultimately we could say the word that condemned her was the, <laughs> was the same word that saved her. Isn't it wonderful that the word of God that condemned you and me is the same word that authored my salvation. And so I appreciate that a great deal, but Jesus never let her go what Jesus did not deal with her sin. But he dealt with her sin without the ignorant scribes and Pharisees sticking their nose in the midst of it. And ultimately our goal is just to get folk to Christ where they can do business with the Lord. So it's, it's not that this lady was excused. Jesus dealt with the sin. But the Pharisees wanted to kill her to make, it a, make a point. Now Jesus wasn't emphasizing that the woman deserved to live. Nowhere in the scripture do we see Jesus emphasize that this woman deserved not to be stoned. You cannot find it in the scripture. If you, if you see that in the scripture, you're missing the whole point. 
It is not that Jesus was emphasizing that the woman deserved to live. Jesus is saying here, everyone here before me deserves to die. It was never that she deserved to live. It's that she deserves to die and so do all you scribes and Pharisees. So he never took away from his word. He never said she deserves to live. He's simply wanting those that are accusing this woman to understand, yes, she deserves to die, but so do you. And you and I always have to remember that while we're getting people to Christ, to do business with Christ, that we understand all the while that we don't deserve the goodness of God either. So that was the whole point that Jesus was trying to make. Now, Go with me quickly to Lamentations chapter number three, verse number 22. Very, very familiar uh, portion of scripture here. Well, I'll find it. It's right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter number three. Now, You understand, we've emphasized a great deal. Jeremiah's ministry was such that he preached his heart out, Brother Marvin, was called of the Lord, and when he didn't preach, it was as a fire that was shut up in his bones. He was weary and forbearing. He had to preach. He was called to preach. But Jeremiah being called that weeping prophet, we understand this book of Lamentations is known as the Lamentations of Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah lamenting for the people of God because he understood what they were enduring because of their rebellion. And Jeremiah cries and he weeps over the people which he was ministering to. But if you look at Lamentations number three, we find that verses one down through 21 is just all the things that poor Jeremiah has suffered. Verse 1 said, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not in the light. Surely against me is he turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old and hath broken my bones. And it goes on and on and on and on the afflictions of Jeremiah's life. I mean, Jeremiah poured himself into the ministry, Brother Marvin, and was just absolutely run through the ringer. But as he goes down through here studying all these things, he, we come to this portion of scripture that says, verse 21, I like this, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy Faithfulness. You know you wake up every morning with the same flesh that you've always had. Isn't it good to know that you wake up every morning uh, and understand that the Lord's faithfulness is great. And it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Yes, Jeremiah, you've struggled. Yes, Jeremiah, you've endured. But Jeremiah, you weren't consumed in the process. Now, I thought about that, but we go on down here and look at verse 33, a verse that's not as familiar as verse 22 and 23. Verse 33, or verse 32 says, but though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitudes of his mercies. For he doth not afflict, listen, for he doth not afflict willingly, 
nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. So we could say that though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Now here's what I want you to see. We see a lady here in John chapter number 8 that was extended mercy. But her sin indeed was dealt with. And it's, uh, it's the Lord's mercies today, Brother Shane, that you and I are not consumed. That we are not taken out, but we are given the grace, if you will, to do the will of the Lord. Now, we understand today that we've been talking about separation and we've been talking about grace. And we've defined the line this morning that there's a time to have grace there's a time to have separation. And we've defined that and tried to draw the line that the church, the the born-again believer that's in open rebellion against God is that one that should be disciplined and, and, and church discipline should be handed down and there should be this opportunity for them to correct their sin, but if they don't, there's separation. But then there's this young convert that's you know, ignorant of some things, that's needing some help that we don't want to wound and we don't want to hurt and we don't want to cause that kind of offense. And so we extend grace and give opportunity to teach and to be long-suffering and to help them grow. And so we understand today that grace, Brother Marvin, essentially will prevent separation. Now, someone that's wounded or offended, that's treated unfairly, that's shocked, if you will, because we have, you know, inadvertently and not even consciously sometimes hurt them by our knee-jerk reaction to defend God, sometimes we find that it causes separation between us and them. They, they, they flee. They won't darken the doors of a church for 25 years because they've been hurt so bad, embarrassed and treated so, it just had such an effect on them. They don't want to do the church. All right, you you got that crowd. So grace in those situations prevent separation. Now we're defining the difference between separation and grace, but then we understand that separation allows grace. How's that? Well, there's some times you and I have to separate. The Bible shows us what those times are and those people that we must separate from, and we separate so that grace can can abound unto them. That it, that, it, that it shows them where they're wrong. Now, now follow along with me. Grace sometimes will prevent grace. Say, like, what do you mean? That's confusing. If we extend grace to those that the Bible tells us we should not extend grace to, we are preventing the grace of God from doing to them what the grace of God is there for. There's a reason why we separate, and then there's a reason why we give grace. And if we give grace when grace is not supposed to be given, then we're compromising and that prevents grace. Let me, let me see if I can prove that to you by the word of God. Go with me to the book of Jonah. Go with me to the book of Jonah and let's look here for just a moment. Now this is familiar scripture, but I want to call your attention to something if I can. Jonah chapter number one, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So there's no doubt 
that Jonah has been given the instruction uh, and the will of the Lord for his life. But Jonah being a free moral agent has different plans. And Jonah, the Bible says in verse 3, rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. So we understand the sea is becoming boisterous because of the hand of the Lord. The Bible said there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. So they set sail for the Marvin and everything was fine and bluebird skies and all was well. And then the storm come up so suddenly, not an average storm, but a storm that was so bad that they thought it would break the ship in half. Now these ships are designed to sail the high seas. But you do understand today when a ship is being tossed so bad that it's likened to be broken in half, it is some kind of extra, extra kind of storm going on here. All right, so this wasn't the typical storm. No doubt uh, these were mariners that were used to the sea. The Bible said, verse 5, then the mariners were afraid. Those that should understand the concept of operating a ship and dealing with high seas, they are scared. The Bible said, and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten of them. It was so bad, Brother Marvin, they was emptying the ship, trying to get the ship as high in the water column as possible as to prevent the waves from coming over into the ship. They were unloading some cargo. All right? So the Bible says, but John was going in into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise. Listen, you ever, you ever go to somebody and say, Man, you wake up. Are you asleep? What's the matter with you? There's a cry. You know, you try to get people's attention and uh, they're just sleeping. You know, act like everything's all right. It's not all right. He was down in the ship. He wasn't seeing what was going on on the outside. Sometimes you find people get into sin, they just miss it by a mile. They just can't seem to see what's really going on outside. They're stuck inside the boat and what's going on in their little world and they're not paying attention to what's happening all around them. But it was bad enough that the mariners thought they better get a hold of Jonah. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper, arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will not think upon us that we perish not. Or excuse me, it's, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come. Let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. It was so bad that they thought surely this had to be judgment. Surely, they, they, this is unlike anything we've ever witnessed. Somebody better be getting a hold of somebody about what's going on. And said, then said they unto him, tell us we pray thee. They were begging him. For whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? In other words, spill the beans, old boy. We want to know all about you because there's something about this situation that don't seem right. And all was well concerning this ship and the crew until you showed up and then trouble happened. So start spilling it and let us know what's going on. And the verse 9 says, And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Too bad he didn't fear the Lord before all this come down. It's amazing how the Lord can instill fear into your life. He said, the God of heaven which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid 
and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So now, not only he, but all the mariners, all that's on the ship, understand that they are going through something because Jonah has admitted to going opposite of what the Lord told him to do. Now, if you will, I want you to understand something. When the fear of the Lord sets in the heart of someone that knows they've done wrong, they will admit. They will. Now, a lot of times they won't admit till the Lord jerks jerks them up by the tail. But you do understand that when the Lord intervenes and the Lord gets their attention, they will own the fact that they are where they are because of the Lord. The Lord has a way of doing that. But here's what I want you to notice. The Lord has proven, the Lord has shown Jonah why Jonah is in this situation. But the problem is Jonah has brought a situation to others that had no idea that this situation was going to arise. Being in the presence of Jonah was causing them to have to suffer the, 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 the judgment that the Lord brought on to Jonah. Now you understand that the Bible teaches that there's some in, that we call brethren that we are to separate from. If you do not separate from them, you are being disobedient to the word of God and to the will of God. That's why when you start dealing with church discipline, there's some churches, some pastors, some local assemblies that that is a foreign concept to them. And their goal or their mindset is just to love them on through it and to care on through it. And as long as you're hugging them and loving them and patting them, the Lord is not able to instill the fear into them that he wants to instill. So here's what happens. The Bible says here, uh, at the end of verse 10, because he had told them. Verse 11, then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. It's not interesting that Jonah knew what he needed to do, Brother Marvin, to get her fixed. When the Lord instills fear, you don't have to try to talk somebody into getting right. They automatically know what's wrong. God is bringing to their attention what is wrong and they understand that they're suffering from the decisions that they made. Jonah didn't have to ask the mariners what to do for Jonah. Jonah knew what had to be done. He had to to take his medicine, if you will, for what he had done. And so here's what happens. Verse 12 says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now, this isn't just some casual conversation. I mean, the Lord has had to really get the attention of Jonah for Jonah to say, not only was I running from the will of God, but now I'm so sorry for what I have done. I'm willing for you to throw me overboard because I don't, you don't deserve to suffer for the things that I've caused. Now, we try to tell people the suffering that their family and their friends are going to have to go through because of the decisions that they make, and it don't do anything for them. Until God instills the fear in them that you cannot instill in them, then suddenly they're willing to do whatever they have to do to protect their family from the very things that they've caused. It's amazing what the fear of God can do. But here's what happens. The Bible said, verse 12, And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. He's told them, throw me overboard and this will cease. 
but they didn't do it. They stayed in company with Jonah. Now, if you stay in company with those that the Lord has told us to separate from, don't be surprised when you have to endure the, the judging hand of God that was intended for them yourself because you wouldn't separate from them. They didn't ask to be brought into this situation, but how they respond to Jonah is going to tell whether or not they have to endure the judging hand of God. Now, move on with me here. The Bible says, nevertheless, the men rode hard. Do you know what that is, Brother Marvin? That's grace. They were rowing hard, extending grace to a man that didn't deserve it. A man that in order to get away from the judging hand of God, we're going to have to separate from. But he don't deserve it. He's brought this on them. Not only did he bring this on them, but if by chance they get through this storm, they're going to get to port without the things they brought with them. Because they've had to unload the ship into the sea to try to maintain buoyancy. So they're extending grace that he did not deserve. So nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea rock was tempestuous against them. We can extend grace till the cows come home, but if it's not God's will for us to extend the grace, we're wasting our time. And we're wasting his time. Because the Lord's got a plan. The Lord's wanting to do something. And the sooner they quit extending grace in a time where they were supposed to be separation, the Lord could institute the things he wanted to institute. The Bible says here, verse number 14, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. That's exactly right. The Lord was doing as it pleased him. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Separation. When separation became, uh, showed up, when they instituted separation, all the mariners, all the crew, everybody on the ship suddenly was safe from the judging hand of God. Listen to me. If we don't separate when God tells us to separate, we're going to have some casualties. Now, we beg people to get right with God so their family doesn't have casualties. But if we extend grace, when God is wanting separation, we are inviting those casualties into our life. The children that I work hard to protect are now open to casualty because I won't separate from what God has told me to separate from. Now, would you agree with me that Jonah was an open rebellion? Jonah didn't get on an accidental ship to Tarshish and realize, oh, no, I, I bought the wrong ticket. I don't believe God would have done that if Jonah had accidentally bought the wrong ticket. The Lord would have put him on a boat headed back to where he needed to go. Because the motivation of his heart means everything right here. So let's look on. The Bible said, so they took up Jonah in verse 15 and cast it forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. It'd do us good to look at the lives of others and what the Lord has done in them, not to repeat the same mistakes that other people make. Listen, you can learn from the Word of God, but you can also learn in the ministry what not to do. There's a lot of experience that, that you can gain just from watching what you ought not to do. Now, the Bible said in verse 17, notice this with me. Now the Lord had prepared. 
What's that mean? That means while the ship was rocking back and forth and Jonah was down there admitting what he had done wrong, the Lord was making preparations for Jonah. Now, some would say that this is the judging hand of God. But I imagine instead of drowning, it looked a lot like grace to Jonah. God had some grace that he wanted to extend to Jonah, but he couldn't do it as long as the people that was in the boat was extending the grace for him. You see how sometimes we get in the way of God when we try to, to, to outdo God or try to do or be God or pretend like we're God or take it upon ourselves to do things. Oh, we're just going to love them on through it. No, what you're going to do is you're going to cause your family trouble, your church problems, and you're going to invite the storms that God had for Jonah into your life because you was extending grace in a time when God said separation. You see how grace is preventing grace right here? The unmerited favor of these people was causing God not to be able to give grace unto Jonah. The Bible said, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, you do understand that when Jesus Christ was crucified, he was put in a tomb for how many days? Now, follow along here with me. Said, then, Jonah, then, Jonah, Jonah, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, it's amazing now, the Lord had prepared a fish unto Jonah. Now, Jonah was talking to the ones on the ship about what he had done, but he hadn't talked to God. He was telling them all about it, but he hadn't done business with God. So they throw him overboard, and Jonah has done accepted his fate. I'm going to drown today. I'm going to die, and I deserve every minute of what I'm going to have to suffer. But if you all don't want to die, you better get rid of me. So as he goes overboard... <laughs> thinking that he's going to get what's coming to him, along comes a fish that the Lord had prepared to swallow him. The Bible said in verse 2, and I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. Now I want to say this, he wasn't having the time of his life. You can look it up, and I'm not got time to go into it tonight. There are living people that actually were swallowed by a whale. They suffer skin damage. They, they suffer blindness. There's all kinds of things that they've suffered because of this. And just the other day on the news, a man uh, was scuba diving and actually got uh, a well put him in his mouth and had to spit him back out. Caused him a lot of damage too. You can fit into the mouth of a well, okay? This is not far stretched here today. God can do whatever he wants to do. The Lord prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. And the Bible said in verse 2, and I said, I cried by reason of my affliction of the Lord, out of, out of, and he heard me. Thank the Lord right there. And out of the belly of hell cried I. And the heard is my voice. All the Lord done was put him in a position to where he would get his heart right so that the Lord could hear him. The Lord never desired to kill Jonah. He desired to get Jonah's heart right. This is a picture of grace. Now it's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of, of Jonah having to suffer. But through the suffering and the judgment of God along come grace. Now can I say to you sometimes grace is disguised as judgment? Grace is disguised as many things. Things that you and I don't think are grace are grace. We're going to row the boat. We're going to try to keep Jonah from dying. The Lord's saying, pitch him overboard. I got a plan. I want to work something in his life that you can't work. Even if they could have saved Jonah, Jonah would just sort of walked away thinking he'd beat God at one of them. He beat God at his own game, but that's not the case. God said, I've got a plan and I've prepared a well. Now here's what I want you to see and, I'll, and I'm going to try to get close to wrapping this up. I don't tell you I'm going to wrap it up no more because I don't ever wrap it up, but I'm getting closer, okay? 
But here's what I'm saying to you. The Lord prepared a well for who? For Jonah. The Lord did not prepare a well for all the mariners. The Lord did not prepare a well for everyone on that ship. That ship was going down. How do you know? Because they were doing everything they could to keep it afloat and were not making any headway. If they thought they could have made headway, they would have never pitched Jonah over. So here's the thing. The storm was going to get them, and they knew it because they quit rowing and chunked him overboard. What are you saying? I'm saying if they had not separated, they were going to go down, and the whale would have swallowed Jonah, but the ones on the ship would have died. Now here's what I want you to see. Jonah got a second chance. But when you don't separate, when God tells you to separate, you may not get a second chance. God may be working in somebody's life to give them another opportunity that might salvage them and their family. But when you have grace, when God tells you to separate from something, you're inviting that judgment upon you and your family, then you may not get a second chance. Friend, I'm telling you right now, this word, this word is serious. This is as serious as a heart attack. Grace, grace, grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I love grace. I thank God for grace. We better have some grace. We better, in, we better give some grace. But there's a time for him when we're going to have to separate. So here's what I'm saying to you. Grace will prevent separation with folk that need grace. And separation will allow grace. But if we have grace, when we're not supposed to have grace, we are preventing the grace of God from doing what God wants to do. How many churches are in operation today that's allowed things in their church that should not be there, that's destroyed their church because they would not do what God told them to do? Why do you think Paul said, don't be puffed up? You better deal with sin. You better deal with sin. Now, run, run with me quickly back to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter number 18. And I want to warn us tonight for those that have been listening to the messages and understand that we as a church need to be a church that are separated. But we must be a church that extends grace and we must be able to define when grace should be extended and when separation uh, should be instituted. All right? The Bible plainly declares and defines these things. But I, I do want you to take notice, if you will. The Bible says here in uh, Matthew chapter, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. I want to read that first, verses 13 through 15. The Bible says here in chapter 19, verse number 13, Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Now, notice with me, if you will, the Bible here is teaching us that the disciples have rebuked the children for coming unto the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the chapter that follows this great chapter number 18 that we read about when Jesus talked about the millstone around their neck. Well, they, they don't get it, do they? Hard to get it through to their head. He's expressed to them in great detail the importance of, of not offending a little child. 
And those that offend the believer, a little child that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, that surely they'd be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and to be cast into the sea. Then we roll into chapter 19 and here come the children and the disciples rebuke them. What does Jesus say? But Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want you to know something here. The Lord is emphasizing for a young, uh, for, for young people, little kids. And we understand that we've emphasized that the scripture relates a a new convert to a babe that desires the sincere milk of the word. They are little babes in Christ that need help. Jesus has emphasized to his disciples in chapter number 18, you need to disciple these young children. Do not offend them in their youth and their lack of understanding. Do not embarrass them. Do not cause them to run off and hurt them because I'm telling you right now, it'd be better than a millstone was hung around your neck if you do that. So, what, are, what is the Lord saying to the disciples? Did the, Lord, did the Lord love his disciples? Of course he did. The Lord invested a lot of time in his disciples. He loved his disciples so much, he says, come with me to pray. Peter, James, John, come with me a little farther. Yeah, you're failures, but I love you and come, come with me. Why would Jesus tell the disciples that it was better that a millstone hang around their neck and they'd be cast into the sea and hurt one of those little ones? He's saying that I love you and I love them and I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm extending something, uh, grace to whosoever will. And as much as I love you, I don't love you more than I love someone else. And you better protect these little ones because it's within your power to protect them. But if you don't protect them, I don't love you more than them. It'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and throw it into the sea. How would you like Jesus to look you in the eye of the Marvin and threaten you with a millstone? Now you understand all through the scripture, Jesus is that rock. He's that chief cornerstone. He's that rock of our salvation. He is that stone of stumbling. Jesus is also the millstone. What are we saying here? Jesus basically is saying, Brother Marvin, it'd be better for you and me to tango and for me to cause you to go to the bottom of the sea than for you to prevent one of my little ones from being where they need to be where I am concerned. So here's what I want to say to you. When we just learned that extending grace to those when grace is not to be extended. Not God's grace, by the way, our grace. When we're giving them from something that God's telling us we ought not do, we're taking upon ourselves to extend our grace to them. They may get a second chance, but we are opening a door to the devil to wreck our homes and to wreck our families and to wreck our church. For rebellion is rebellion is rebellion. You think that you're doing some great justice because you're extending grace and all the while we're disobeying the word of God. Why would we not expect for the judgment of God to come upon us at the same time it's coming upon those in which he's dealing with? The only difference is, is now poor little Lydia and Olivia are subject to it. Your children, your loved ones, your family is subject to it. 
And if Jesus said, I don't love the disciples more than I love these little children, then you better not love, those, love others more than you love your own children. Who am I, Brother, Brother Marvin, who am I to extend grace to a rebel and put your family at risk? What kind of arrogant person could I possibly be? We think that we're doing great because we're loving everybody and we're hugging everybody. No, we're not. Brother Marvin, if I take the reins as the pastor of this church and determine that I'm going to go against God and allow open rebellion in this church, I am saying to you, Brother Marvin, that I don't love your wife or that I don't love your son or Brother Shane, that I don't love your wife or Sister Pam, that I don't love Brother Shane. I'm saying that I love someone else more than I love you. How do we know that we love the Lord? Because we love the brethren today, friend. What are you saying? I'm saying we play God when we ought to be the people that do what God says. And when we decide when to extend grace and when to do this and when to do that instead of getting our instruction from that King James Bible, I'm threatening the church and so are you. So I got news for you tonight. We're going to have to be careful. If we want to police something, if we want to be holy policemen, we better start policing ourselves Amen. and determining what's really important to us and what's really not. So Jesus is saying here, it'd be better that a millstone was hung about your neck. Turn with me while you're holding your place in Matthew chapter 18 and go with me over to chapter number 21 and uh, let's look here. In verse number uh, 42. Now, we've, t- we've been all over chapter 21 as of late. We talked about the parable of the two sons. We talked about the parable of the householder uh, and the fruit of his vineyard. And uh, we understand that the chief priests and the elders uh, had come unto him as the Lord was teaching and questioned his authority. Jesus said in verse 42, he said, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. We dealt with that verse of Scripture the other day. Verse 44 said, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. What does that mean? Well, to fall on that stone, we're looking at Christ as the stone here, but they fell upon him and afflicted him and wounded him and thronged him and beat him and put him on Calvary. And so here's what we're, here's what essentially is being, say, is, is being said here. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. This, this, look on though, it says, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know what a millstone does? A millstone takes grain and corn and wheat and grinds it to powder. And Jesus is simply saying this, we not only see Jesus Christ as a stone of stumbling, as a rock of our salvation, as a solid foundation, as the chief cornerstone, he's also the millstone that's threatening the disciples that if you do this to one of these little children, you will have to tango with me. Now, a lot of people are taking these scriptures and trying to say that the Lord is threatening them with hell. That's not what he's doing. Let's look on here. Let's go back to Matthew chapter number 18 for just a minute. Let's look at verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs that, that 
for it must needs be that offenses come. There's enough offenses in the world that me and you don't need to add to any. Amen? But he says here, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life uh, halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I send to you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So it almost looks like if they offend one of these children that they're, be threat, they're being threatened with hell. This is, not a, this is not about falling from grace right here. What has actually happened is this. We must go back to when the Lord first started using this terminology. So let's go back to Matthew chapter number 5 and look at something here that I think is very important. Now the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Now what happened over here just a moment ago when the Pharisees uh, came to the Lord Jesus Christ with this woman that was taken in adultery? They tried to use the word of God against the word of God. Jesus did not go against the law. Jesus didn't go against what Moses had put forth in the, in the law. Right here the Bible says, think not that I am come to destroy the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, Brother Shane. Or the prophets, I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill. Here's the problem. Why did he come to fulfill the law? Because no man had ever done it. Now you need to understand the Bible teaches us that, that the law is our what? School master. And I've yet to preach on that. I was going to preach that way this morning and the Lord wouldn't give us liberty to do that. But the law was given... Not that, not that God thought somebody might actually attain and reach perfection. The law was given to show that man never was going to be able to fulfill the law. It was our schoolmaster to show us and to prove to us that we never were going to cut the grade. We never were going to make it on our own. But year by year, sacrifice had to be made, but it never was there uh, for, to keep the comers there unto perfect. Annually, it had to be given. So what do we know? We know that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. Why? Because he was going to do what no man could. And he said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. In other words, I came, and I'm going to fulfill it, and I'm going to do what you could not do. Then he says this, whosoever therefore shall break one of these uh, least commandments and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven look at verse 20 for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven this is not teaching that once someone exceeds the, 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 righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that they can go to heaven, it's saying that the scribes and Pharisees were always the ones that thought that they had attained. 
They always acted like they were righteous. They were the ones that come to Jesus himself and brought the word of God against the word of God to try to trip up the word of God. And because they walked around with this status as if they were self-righteous, Jesus is saying, unless you outdo them, you're not going to go. Well, they thought that they had reached the top. The, the Pharisees and scribes acted as if they had reached the pinnacle of righteousness. But no, Jesus just told them right here, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. You've never fulfilled it. As good as you think you are as scribes and Pharisees, you'll have to exceed even that if you plan on going to heaven by your own righteousness. So what he's doing is he's just clearing the board and proving to them with this type of terminology that you don't have what it takes. So he calls the scribes and Pharisees. It's amazing because they're always calling him out and right near he's dealing with it from the start uh, right here on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Listen, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Go to verse 27. It says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye, here we go again. Here we go again. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it out from thee, for it, is, uh, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So here's what he's doing. He's talking now about we're no longer dealing with the facts of the law. See, the law was our schoolmaster. But now he's gone beyond the law. See, he's saying the scribes and Pharisees think they've reached the top. You'll have to go past that if you're going to get to heaven. But then he goes farther than the law. He says, once the law has been fulfilled, you better understand it's more than just fulfilling the law. It's a matter of the heart. We go from dealing with the law to dealing with the heart. You may not have ever committed adultery in the flesh, but if you've ever thought about it, you're the same as an adulterer. So what he's doing here is he's teaching that the law was here for a reason, but you all are missing the point of the law. They always missed the point of the law. They did not allow the teaching, they did not allow the law to teach them what the law was designed to teach them that they were failures. And Jesus said, you'll have to go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, and then if you've ever do attain them to that, you better understand that it's more than just the law, it's the heart of the matter. Jesus gets down to the motivation of the heart. Now what he's saying is, and not only will you have to do that, but if you're gonna even think about attaining the law, you're gonna have to start lobbing off fingers and arms and feet and eyeballs and everything else under the sun. In other words, you don't have it in and of yourself, so you better start peeling out eyeballs and ears and fingers and hands and feet because you're going to fail. All he's doing is showing them that they don't have what it takes. He's just proving to them that, that they're going to have to start cutting away some things of their life if they're even going to try to get close to obtaining uh, righteousness by the law. That's why he says right here, in verse 8 of chapter 18, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. In other words, what was he getting, what was he driving at in the previous chapter over in verse 5? You don't have what it takes. Right here, he's saying the same thing. You don't have what it takes. He's warning them that if they offend, it's better that they tango with the Lord and be drowned in the sea than to offend. But then, right here in the next verses, he proves to them that they don't have what it takes. 
That's scary. You're in for it. You're going to tango with me. I'm the millstone that's going to crush you if you do this, but at the same time, you don't have what it takes. You know what we have to do when we don't have what it takes? What do, they, what do we always do? What was he trying to do right over here in chapter 5? Show them and teach them that they needed the Lord. You know how we keep from hanging a millstone about our neck and being cast into the sea? You know how we don't tango with the Lord? You know how we don't offend? We have to lean upon the Lord. So here's what I'm saying to you essentially tonight is this. We must have the Lord's help. And we have got to get to the place with Marvin where we understand in every angle, avenue, cook, crevice, corner, we got to go by that book. Nobody likes church discipline. You ought to hate it. You ought to hate it. Those, those, those Pharisees, those scribes, those chief priests, they love that kind of stuff. Oh, they, love, they like to catch a woman in adultery and bring her before the Lord and try to make a mockery out of the Lord. The Lord's saying it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. You, you, you must separate when it's time to separate. You must extend grace when it's time to extend grace. But if you start trying to be gracious when it's time to separate, you're opening a door to hurt your children and your family and other families and other children when they might not get a second chance. And let me tell you what Jesus is saying to you right here. Brother Marvin, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung about your neck for compromising and putting my children at risk. And I want you to understand something. We're all God's children. And it would be better for me to have a millstone hung about my neck than to separate from some things that the Bible tells me to separate from than to offer an open door for Satan and the judging hand of God to affect Shane's family and Marvin's family and Brent's family and Miss Weekly's family and the list goes on and on. Listen, sometimes you think the preacher might be overbearing or maybe we're being a little too harsh on this. What's that book say? It's all right to go by the letter. Hey, can I say to you, we can go by the letter and extend grace. We can also go by the letter right here and know when to separate. And we don't have the privilege, Brother Shane, of making the determination of our own accord when that is. When we start doing that, we start doing what's right in the sight of our own eyes. And we see how that turned out for the children of Israel, don't we? It's never what we think. Oh, listen, opinions are so rampant. If I've learned one thing as a pastor, and COVID-19 really helped to emphasize this to me, everybody's got an opinion. But fortunately for me, I don't have to operate as a pastor based on an opinion. I have one opinion to consider, and that's what my B-I-B-L-E says to me. That's it. And I can go to bed at night whether people like it or whether people don't. But here's what I do want us to understand today. There was a family somewhere, Brother Marvin, that had a daddy on a ship headed to Tarshish. That if they had chosen to keep continuing grace when separation should have been given, there was a family going to lose a daddy. There was, there was people in transit that were going to die and leave a family without a family member, without a provider, without a leadership in the home, because somebody was extending grace when God was saying, I've prepared my own grace. Let my grace do the work. And the hardest thing you and I can do sometimes is cut the cord. We, we try to put people on spiritual life support, friend, 
And we're not doing that. You know what we're doing is just draining ourselves. We're just, we're just, we're just draining ourselves. We're not in shape tonight in this local assembly to drain what we have right here. What we better do is this. We are in that stage in this church, and, and I, I've said this to missionaries, and I don't think you will not. I don't think you'll find this uh, harsh, and I don't think you'll lack appreciation for this. I wasn't trying to be ill-willed or mean, but I've expressed this to some missionaries that's come through. We're just like a church plant right here. We're a young. We're we're just a church plant right here who's trying to get a foothold in this community and grow and work and and see the Lord move. But we don't have the luxury, Brother Shane, of losing one or two due to our own ignorance. We don't have the luxury of of working against what God says and implementing what we think because it just feels right. Who cares what it feels like? I'm sick of what it feels like. Who cares what it feels like? Feelings are deceiving. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. But the word of God right here is the only thing that is worth believing. And we and you have to decide that we're going to stick with the pages of this Bible and do exactly what he says when it ain't popular. Listen, this right here, what we're dealing with tonight, this right here get a preacher run off from most churches. You won't preach this in somebody else's pulpit very often and get away with it. Because it causes the pastor to have to face some things that maybe he ain't been facing either. And I ain't saying all churches are that way, but I'm saying the vast majority is not going to follow the kind of preaching that we've been dealing with the last two or three messages. It's just not going to happen. You'll find that there's a church somewhere, they'll like, they'll like one of these messages. They'll like that message on separation. Amen. But that church that liked that separation, they won't, they won't like that grace preaching too much. And the church that really liked that message that I preached on grace, they won't care too much about that separation. But that church that liked the separation and that church that likes the grace, that church can go and do something for the glory and honor of God because they don't care what anybody else thinks. They think care what God thinks. But I'm scared, and you better be scared. You better be scared to death, friend, of allowing the judging hand of God to come in your front door if you and I don't get dead, serious, and sold out to doing what God says regardless. They thought they would salvage Jonah, but they were going to lose themselves. We try to salvage somebody that the Lord says cut the cord on, we're going to lose ourselves, And this ship that we're on it's going to go to the bottom, and you're going to die with it. And what's sad is it's quite possible that the one we went down for, the Lord's going to have that fish come and swallow them. They're going to get right with God and go on, and the church is going to be dead and gone. What good is it if the church is dead and gone? You understand the Lord instituted the church to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. I know I'm long-winded tonight. Just bear with me. I, we get through this tonight, we won't have to readdress it. Readdress this on Wednesday night, okay? It's serious business. Serious business. And I, I'm afraid that families are being sacrificed because of disobedience. And I, I, I believe there's people that's doing it that don't even realize that it's happening. I don't think they understand the severity of what it is to compromise in these areas. Oh, I'm for grace. You better be for grace. You better get your heart serious about loving people and extending grace. But at the same time, there's a time for grace and there's a time for separation. And there's some people that don't like the grace given and they get mad about the grace given. And there's some people that don't like the separation and they get mad about the separation. And friend, you, if you, no matter which side of the fence you fall, you better get over yourself tonight. You better say, I don't, I'm past the feelings. 
No matter what feelings were happening on that ship, you know there's a lot of emotion going on on that ship, Brother, Brother Shane. You get out on a ship that's fixing to go down and see if your emotions don't run high. Your blood pressure will go through the roof. Your heart will beat out of your chest and you'll think you're going to die from the, the adrenaline running through your system. But the emotions didn't matter. Simply what God wanted mattered. Throw him overboard. Now, I don't want to throw nobody overboard. But I'll say this to you. If the time comes and we have to, we have to issue out some church discipline, you need to just amen it and love it and go on and pray for them and let's go on for the glory and honor of God. And for that one that needs some, some help and some grace, suck it up, bite your lip, hold your tongue, and extend some grace. And I believe the Lord will honor us just for selling out, number one, to that, to that thought pattern. We as a church will just get in agreement that that's the direction that we need to go. I believe even if we fail a little bit on accident, the Lord will extend to us grace. But if we are rebellious as a church and will not go this direction and sell out to this concept and this teaching, then don't be surprised when the ship sinks. Now, I've talked to you before about our church, and I've told you that we are in a state right here where, you know, this thing can go either way, Brother Marvin. You better understand that. This church that we sit in tonight is, is at a crossroads. It's approaching a fork in the road, and it's going to go two ways. It's either going to go good or it's going to go down. Now, we got some youngins in our church that need a place to go to church where it's going to be right. Amen. You know what we better do? <laughs> we better just say, I'm all in, God. The game time's over with. The play parties is done. The show's over. We're serious. And we'll do exactly what you want us to do. And if we'll sell out to that thought, I believe the Lord will give us enough grace, Brother Marvin, to see us on through this thing. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't sell out, if the church as a whole don't go that direction, if you're not willing to head, head that way, you might as well sign this thing over and write it on down to the bottom because that's where we're headed. And there'll be no well prepared to, fix, to pick us up. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We know this is somewhat of a sobering message. And quite a different message than I've probably ever preached or thought of in this manner. But Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for what you have shown us in the word of God. Lord, we have been encouraged that you are a God of grace, that your mercies are new every morning, that you do not run out of faithfulness. And Lord, that you know, we know that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed it's your mercy that we are not consumed, but it's your grace that consumes us. And Lord, I'm thankful that Jonah found grace in the belly of the whale, and grace consumed Jonah. But Lord, I pray that we would not be the type of people that stray away from what God's word says because we have some kind of emotional attachment or some emotion that is fixed towards a particular human being, but we would have our emotions attached to you. That our ultimate goal would be to extend all the love that we can muster towards you and towards your people. And we cannot truly love your people like you want us to love your people unless we follow this book to the letter. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us as a church. God, to sell out to this concept of extending grace and having separation. For we know, Lord, and trust in our heart that if we will sell out to this concept, 
that you will have grace on us as a local assembly in the days ahead to continue on in the service of the Lord and you will do something here in this place. Lord, I didn't mean really to preach a charge to the church tonight per se, but I feel like, Lord, that a charge has been given and I believe a warning has gone out and I believe that we can admit today that we are in a crossroads in this place and we want to go the right direction Pray, God, you'd give us the grace to get there. Help us along the way. And, Lord, we'll love you. No matter how unique we may seem as a church body to other people, we just want to go right down the middle of the road. We'll love you. We'll thank you. Praise you, Father. Give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I don't.